Welcome to the Millerville Community Church podcast of our Sunday morning sermon series, where the Word of God is always the focus of our hearts and prayers. MCC is a non-denominational country-style church, just a short 20-minute drive from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Although we're often considered a cowboy church, we're actually a community of diverse people from many different backgrounds who have a common commitment to our Lord Jesus Christ and the Word of God. If you have questions, suggestions, and feedback you would like to share with us, please use our email service at infomillavillechurch.org. And now, here is a message from Sunday morning at MCC. Amen. Hallelujah. It's good to be in the house of God. Just uh, hearing that worship this morning and those choruses, I mean, that was the sermon in and of itself. It it was just a blessed time. Isn't it great to be worshiping with God's people and enjoying the glory that he shares with us and the truth that he has placed in our midst? It is so good to be here with you and to share with you again from our series as we look at 1 Corinthians and the illumination of the darkness around us. Because we do live in a very dark world. I don't know if you realize that, but uh, the more I learn about the world we're in and uh, what the world understands how things work, uh, the darker it seems to me. And I'm just amazed at the lack of understanding that our world around us has. If you're looking to uh, the world for understanding and for truth and insight, you're not going to find a whole lot out there. It won't give you much wisdom at all. Unfortunately, many of us turn to the media for insight. We look to science for understanding, and we even look to personalities in government in the entertainment industry to explain to us uh, the morality of the world. Worst, we think that truth and wisdom comes from popular opinion and vote of the majority. And it certainly doesn't come from there either, does it? I have found this true throughout history, not that I've been alive throughout history, but as a student of history, as I observe it, a one great terrible truth, the majority is usually wrong. (laughs) Have you ever noticed that? That's why democracies scare me all, all the time, because the majority is usually wrong, and most of the time. And that is troubling, because we are building our lives on what the majority think. That's how we build our countries today, and we think about all the harmful decisions that can come from the majority. Most of us are in the dark because we think opinions matter, and that reason is a light that will not ever lead us astray, but I'm telling you, You can be very irrational while you follow reason. Not that I'm against reason. I use reason all the time. I'm not against opinions, because I'm a very opinionated person. I have strong opinions. The reason we are in the dark is not because of reasons and opinions. It's because our misunderstanding of the very nature of what truth is. And because of our thinking and of our speech and our actions, we have a disease. I don't know if you know this. We are sick with it. And it's a a pandemic level over the face of the earth. 
And this disease that warps our thinking and distorts our understanding of reality is sin. Sin infects all we do. It affects everything we say and we think. This is a disease that attacks our nervous system. It creates blindness in our souls, along with delusions and hallucinations. Sin is a worldwide malady that causes irrational decisions that we make, and even insanity while enslaving us to very compulsive behaviors. Yet you will not see any treatment for that in the work of religion or in science. Their only real answer to the sin sickness that we find is through the work of Jesus Christ in our hearts by being born again. When I use the word sin, most people think that it's a charge or an accusation that is being brought against a person in a court of law that I'm standing before them as a righteous prosecutor and saying, you're guilty of sin. Today I'm using it as a deadly disease rather than a court case. We can talk about the sin disease in legal matters because it has legal implications as do all communicable diseases. A person can be held accountable for bringing harm to others because you're spreading a known disease and causing this contagion to spread. Sin infects and it spreads throughout the whole of our society by the time you realize you have it, it's too late. Being sick can affect you in a lot of ways. Have you ever been sick? <laughs> Recently. <laughs> yes. We went on our holiday and, uh, to visit our family and we all came down sick. I just heard of a school that just, the whole school system shut down because the norovirus was spreading so rapidly. And have you noticed that when you get sick, your mood changes? Does it? I know you're all holy and saintly like me, but once in a while we're truly tested, right? When you're not feeling well, and the greater and the more severe the sickness, the greater effect it has on your thinking. You don't even think straight. You don't even reason well. Sin is a sickness that attacks your nervous system and changes your perception of reality. It's a paranoia and delusional thinking sets in with sin, and it changes your mood. If you are in the grip of this sin sickness, it can be very hard for you, to, for you to reach you. It can be very hard for you to understand what we're trying to share with you today. But I'm going to try. I'm going to try even as the Apostle Paul tried to reach the Corinthian church about sin and its sickness. We're going to pick it up at 1 Corinthians. We're at chapter 5 now, if you're following along with me. Marking up your Bibles as you go. 1 Corinthians 5. And I'm going to just start with the first couple of verses. Paul says this. It is actually reported that there is immorality among you. An immorality of such a kind that does not exist even amongst the Gentiles, 
that someone has his father's wife. You have become arrogant and have not mourned instead so that the one who has done this deed would be removed from your midst. When you sit down with a sick person in a sick room and they're not feeling too well and you've got the bucket in hand and they're throwing up, a sick person can be in denial about their illness. And uh, there are a lot of strong men here in this congregation that never go see a doctor. <laughs> oh, it'll be all right. Sprain your wrist, break your ankle, whatever it is. You think, well, that's probably not good. And then you doctor yourself and just soldier on. But it's not good to be in denial when you're not well. Do you understand that? Because things can get worse if you don't get treated for what is there. We think uh, that we can somehow just push through the symptoms and we'll be okay. The trouble is the person who is sin sick will minimize the trouble they are having in their lives and say, it's not so bad, everyone suffers from this. I could uh, pick on many things to illustrate this. I'd pick on one thing like smoking does harm to the lungs and cause many problems over time. But the addiction to smoking is so strong and the act of sm so smoking is so great that people will risk the harm. I have had people in my congregations over the years, guys trying to quit smoking, they can give up heroin faster than they give up smoking. It's harder. It's a truly addictive thing, even though they know it's causing harm. This is true of every addiction, of every sin, and all sin. It wants you to say, oh, it's not so bad. I can do this. Everyone does it. The effects won't be bad. Sin controls our life by its addictive nature, and that's why we struggle with it so much. Giving in to addiction just seems easier than fighting it all the time. So we just roll over and say, well, it's under the grace of God. Paul points out the symptoms of sin sickness in the Corinthian church. Apparently, a man was sleeping with his stepmother, which was a abhorrent act in their culture. The people of the Corinth did not mind a great deal of sin. In fact, Corinth had a great deal of pleasure-seeking and of all kinds that the Bible had forbidden. And the church had grown insensitive to the sin, greater than those who had repented by their sins and turning to Jesus Christ and being born again. They should have been above that, but they had grown and compromised with it. And how could this be when they had been saved from their sins? There are people who go to a doctor for a solution. Have you ever done that? I want you to fix me, doctor. This is my problem. And then uh, they explain to your medical condition and what the cause is. And when the symptoms are treated uh, for what we have going on in us, they see no reason to change their behavior. I remember driving up to a hospital to visit uh, someone at the hospital. I went in, I checked in at the desk. person was already released and gone. And my wife had drove, gone off with a car to shop for fabric or something, and, and uh, I thought I was going to be there an hour or so, and then, and then I had time on my hands. So I leave the hospital, and I go outside, and there's a bench where I can sit and watch for her to drive up to pick me up. And while I'm sitting there, um, there's a gentleman beside me, and I'm looking at him, and he's waiting for a ride, too. 
And then uh, a lady comes out of the hospital with one of those walking stands. You ever see those with an IV bag on it? She's got a bathrobe on, and she's walking up to where we're sitting. And she sits down between us, and then she pulls out a cigarette, and she lights up. And I'm thinking, hmm, who am I to judge? <laughs> she's coughing, and I said, and, and being a pastor, I'm being friendly, and I said, so what are you in for? And she says, I have a lung problem. <coughs> and I say, who am I to judge? And then another gentleman shows up, and he walks up to where the three of us are sitting, and he pulls out a little Ziploc bag. He goes up to, now I realize, I'm in the smoking area of the hospital. <laughs> and there's a tray there with sand in it and cigarette butts that people have put out. The man with the little Ziploc comes up to it, and he starts picking out the longest ones and dropping them in the Ziploc bag. And then he lights one up. And the lady next to me, I said, who am I to judge? The lady next to me with the IV, who's in for lung treatment and smoking a cigarette, is horrified at the man with the Ziploc. <laughs> and she says these words. That's not very healthy, you know. <laughs> and this is when I realized I live in an insane world. <laughs> Sin, sickness, puts us in a denial mode about what the problem really is. We don't understand what is taking place in our life and how horrible it is. And how we're hurting ourselves, we live in denial that it's okay and that it's not going to harm anyone even while we're harming ourselves. Yet Christ is a good doctor. Did you know that? He is not happy with this arrangement because he knows that the cancerous nature of sin is a sickness that spreads, not just to us, but to the ones that we love around us. The Lord knows that it will spread and it will kill. He even recommends amputation to save yourself from it. In Matthew 5, verse 29 through 30, the good doctor recommends amputation. Verse 29, if your right high makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it away from you. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body go to hell. Now, there are some people who say, Pastor John, I've heard you talk about sin and hell. You're a hellfire and brimstone preacher here. And then we'll say, you know, that Christ didn't believe in hell. I just quoted Christ, and he mentioned it twice in one saying. He said that sin and its sickness in you is like cancer and it wants to kill you. Wouldn't you rather live and amputate it from your life? You ever go to a doctor and he says, well, you've got a serious problem. We would like to just cut it out. And you would say, well, 
could you give me a drug instead? Well, I could. Would you like a prescription? Well, could you give me a change of lifestyle instead? Well, I could do that too. But you know why they go quick to amputation? Because most people do not change the way they live. They don't believe you. I guarantee if you're right-handed, there's one way to stop smoking. Cut it off and you can't light up a cigarette. And if the doctor suggested to you, you know what your response would be is, well, give me a chance, doctor, before you cut off my right hand. Jesus is using shock therapy here with you. And he says, that's how deadly sin is in your life. It is going to kill you, and it's going to destroy your life and the lives of others. It is better for you to amputate than to have it. And then we plead with them and say, could we just not amputate? Could we do something else instead? And Jesus is more than happy to say, yes, there is another solution if you're willing to take it. Hell is a separation from God and from his redeeming love. Sin sickness is a cancer that wants to separate you from God. Adultery, addictions, and other manifestations of sin are the evidence of a serious problem within us. But the sickness itself is much deeper than those presenting problems. Jesus is suggesting that if we're smoking and we can't quit, then we can act, then we could be better cutting off that hand. That is shocking, and it's meant to be that way for you. No one wants to cut off a good hand but we don't want to die with lung cancer either. A drastic option is given by the good doctor, so we won't choose a less drastic option by avoiding what it means to take responsibility for our lives. Sin sickness is so deep within us and such a fast-growing cancer, we often think we can't control it, so we give in or we consider amputation in our lives. Yet there is this other way. And this begins with a radical step, and it begins with moving away from denial and admitting that we have a problem. And if you've been to Sandra and I's marriage enrichment seminar, you know what to say. Hi, I'm John. I have a problem. And my problem is. And when we do that with the Lord and we confess it to the Lord, he is able to start to change something within our soul. Instead of trying to solve the sin sickness by treating your symptoms and cutting out hands and removing eyes and doing things that are the presenting problem of the sickness, he wants to go far deeper where the sickness really the core is. He wants to remove that tap root within our lives. The disease of sin goes much deeper than the manifestation of, of the cause that it has. Your hand, your feet, your eyes are not the source of the problem. Sin sickness begins the nervous system deep within your soul. Yes, you have a soul. And that might seem strange today because in this dark world, people are telling us that we don't even have souls anymore. That all we are is body made up of DNA and chemical reactions. If you can think, feel, and desire something, you're using your soul which is different than your body. Even if your body were to die, that soul that you have still exists, that desire to think, to desire, and to feel. The problem is that our souls are sin-sick, and it's causing us problems in our bodies. 
The soul has many different sin sicknesses within it, things like lust, greed, gluttony, and the 70 deadly sins. Yet, despite those deadly sins, there is a sin sickness that is deep, a core root of it all. It is called pride. The original sin is identified by arrogance. We don't mourn over the reality of sin. Arrogance grows in our life because we aren't coming clean with God. And we give ourselves a pride in sin itself. The soul's sick sin of pride is the root of all our problems in our life. We should grieve over the reality and seek to remove it from our hearts. And when we fail to mourn, as Paul says to the Corinthian church, Pride with a disdain and a revulsion in our life, when we refuse to re- mourn over that, then the sickness will manifest in arrogance of thinking. And we can do whatever we want. And who are you to judge me? Then we want someone to point out the sin sickness in us. And to point out that arrogance will respond that I am offended that you point that out. Pride, arrogance, and offense walk together. If you're offended by Jesus Christ, and you're offended that he says that you have a sin sickness, then you're only proving the very diagnosis that Christ is giving us here today and what Paul is sharing with the Corinthian church. The church in Corinth, in its sin-sick soul, was infected church-wide by a tolerance of a deadly disease that they were defending a sin sickness that allowed them to become arrogant and offended by Paul's words. So Paul recommends the radical action of removing and isolating from the body the source of the sin. The unrepentant sinner should be removed from the fellowship of the body so the sin sickness does not spread to all members of the body. 1 Corinthians 5 says in verse 3, For I, on my part, Though absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged him who has so committed this, as though I were present. In the name of our Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. When I arrived here over a year ago, we started our war rooms in our homes, and many of you have taken up the challenge of uh, beginning to keep a war room in your homes and to intercede on behalf of your family while you're taking care of the issues in your own life. This is a prayer closet where your prayers are strategic and scriptural, and you come before the Lord on a regular basis. Believers in Christ have always been doing this, and they've been doing it for thousands of years. And we have learned much in our war rooms. We have learned is that through earnest and sincere prayers, we can change how we think, what we say, and how we act in our lives. Even more amazing it is to realize that distance makes no difference to prayer. That you can reach people around the world with your prayers from your war room. I'm interceding right now for someone in Sweden and fighting a battle for them. 
our, our war rooms allow us to access places that we thought we could never penetrate before. Our prayers can reach around the world, and it can reach it with power and authority when we're right with the Lord. And as we clean up the soul sickness within us and in our lives, we can fight the cancer. In our lives, we can also begin to fight it in other lives as well. And this is what Paul really meant when he said, when you're assembled, I am there in spirit with you in the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. He often opened his letters with, pray for all the saints everywhere all the time. And this is what Paul was always doing. His war room was very mobile. And wherever he went, he was praying for the saints everywhere all the time with all kinds of prayers. Our prayers reach into many homes, lives, and even the halls of power around the world as we lift them before God. We make our stand on the promises and the authority that is given us in the Bible and through being born again. We stand on this truth that we find in the scriptures with a sincere heart that makes us uh, a real threat to unseen forces in this world and the lives of many. We have been a praying people for us, and right now as we gather in the name of Jesus, there are people praying for us in this room now as we hear this message. This is a building filled not just with bodies, but with the presence and the power of those who are interceding for us. We are connected by the Holy Spirit as one body, contending with the sin sickness everywhere. And Paul reveals in this paragraph that we just read a war room strategy that he has. He says, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. The strategy is not to get the complicated, sin-sick believer to wake up to the danger of his situations. He wants him to realize that he's in denial and he needs to realize that he's not right with God. Doctors do this all the time, and you might be a victim of a doctor's scare, are you? Has a doctor tried to scare you? It's a technique that they have, and a real good doctor can scare you very well. They do this all the time when they tell patients that they won't perform an operation until the person changes their self-destructive behavior. Have you ever heard that? Yeah, yeah I have. <laughs> I went in for a hernia operation. The doctor inspected me and says, Mr. View, you could afford to lose a few pounds because you could risk reopening the wound if you don't. So I but they went ahead and operated on me anyways. Some people need to feel the full negative consequences of their sin and the sickness of it before they make a decision, a radical decision, to break with it, to confess it, and to move forward with the Lord. This prayer of Paul that allows the unrepentant brother to feel the full consequences of his sin is meant to bring repentance and then healing but it is a hard and dangerous prayer. The possibility that we won't repent but sink further into the deadly deception is a very real possibility. And that's why it's good to pray that their eyes will be opened, that they'll begin to see the terrible situation that they're really in, to see the danger of it and the horror of what they're involved in, 
that they have been courting in their lives. There are many in our lives, in our province, and in our nation, in our community, who need this kind of radical, dangerous prayer. Because they don't understand the danger they're in. God is teaching us through the Bible that we don't have to be perfect followers of Jesus Christ. When you are born again, we still have a sin-sickness nature in our bodies, but we're fighting this cancer, and we're fighting for a chance to take responsibility and cut off the root of pride in our life. But if we give in to pride and we give in to arrogance and are deeply offended by it, we lose the ability to fight the sin-sickness that is there. Paul goes on, verse 6 says, Your boasting is no good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Can old leaven so that, clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump? I like that. I want to be a new lump. <laughs> Just as you are in fact unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, but with the leaven, not with the leaven of malice and of wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. The Bible has clearly condemned sexual sins like adultery, fornication, homosexuality, but in many congregations, brothers and sisters, in many congregations, the Lord has, there are people are boasting that they can practice all these acts without fear of consequences. They have come to believe that these, may, these sins and many other sin sicknesses that we have now are permitted because God has changed his mind on sin in the court of heaven. And he gives everyone a pass. Yet these acts will always demand a price to be paid that will bring about a spiritual death and a physical death into our lives. And these and other sin sicknesses are the cancer that will take over our lives and they will spread within the body of Christ and to our children if we don't fight back with what? With sincerity and truth. Sincerity alone is not enough. Being a sincere sinner means you are still sick. You get that? So if you say, well, I've got this, I know I've got this, but you're still sick. It's not enough. Truth is the way you expose the deception of sin in your life and begin to heal from the harm that it causes. Truth drags the sin out and it exists because of the deception it spins in our life and it has a lie at the core of it that encourages us to be proud and arrogant and offended. When we expose the sin to truth of the Bible, and we do it sincerely in our desire to please God, it will shrink into a small little lump. We must always keep a watch on it. Sandra and I have become very familiar with cancer, and we watch for lumps. Do any of you watching for lumps? Do you know the dangers of it? And sometimes you wonder, is that a fatty tissue lump or is that a cancerous lump? Well, that's kind of hard, and then you think, I better go get that checked out. 
sin sickness within you is the same way. It can go dormant, it can go quiet, but it's always with you and the possibility of it is always there. And you always have to be on guard against it in your life. It never passes away. So you need to be sincere and expose it to the truth every day so the deception of sin can't grow in your life. Sincerity alone is never enough. You need the truth of the Word of God. We're all recovering from sin sickness in our soul, and it lies dormant, just waiting to awaken, and it does that through desire and pride. And right now we are surrounded by others who are also recovering sinners, patients that have checked into the hospital, as C.S. Lewis said. He says, don't think of me as someone, as a pastor, I'm not the doctor. Jesus is the doctor. I just checked into the hospital a little sooner. Been around, know the ropes a bit, but I'm recovering from the sickness as well. Verse 9, Paul goes on to say, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world or with covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. Where would you go? We couldn't even gather together as a church if we have to avoid such people, right? But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person or covetous or an adulterer or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from amongst yourself. Now, it doesn't mean that when we gather together, Paul is saying that you all have to be sinless in order to walk into the church. So our ushers have a Geiger counter, and they measure you. And Okay, that's low enough. You can pass. You can come in. What he's saying is, is if you have people in your midst that say, I am proud of my sin and I believe I am saved, then you've got a problem. It is that delusion that is contagious. And it's very dangerous to a recovering sinner who's learning to follow the Lord to be around a person like that. Do you understand that? Because you will want to believe that it is right. Verse 6, he says, although, who, although he existed in the form of God, he said that Jesus Christ did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking a form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him, Jesus Christ, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God of the Father. And what he says is how this was all accomplished, how the Son of God accomplished all these things, is because he humbled himself. Pride is the enemy. Humility before God and the truth of God and service to him is the cure. 
to allow our brother or sister who is proud and arrogant of their sin into the fellowship with us is to expose the contagion of sin sickness within us all. And this cancer must be fought at all points. I can live, I can work and build friendships with an immoral sinner who do not claim to be Christians, and I do it all the time. It's one of the joys of my life. I, I know some died-in-the-wool sinners that have been all their life, and I love having friendships with them. They are not contagious to me. People who do not know the Lord and realize they have a problem and don't hide behind the grace of Christ to justify their sin are actually very refreshing. They don't know that Jesus Christ and what he can do for them. They don't know what it means to be born again. And the best they can aspire to is religion with all its rules and laws of self-improvement. And these peoples can be reached. They can be won over to the Lord Jesus Christ by the power of the gospel. And that's my task. That's what I want to do. But those who are saved and then take pride in their sin, they grow arrogant and proud and will begin to fall away. And they do it in the following steps. They begin by compromising the Bible and going beyond what is written. Then they, begin, they stop reading the Bible. Then they start celebrating the sin as good. Then they fall into sexual sin as God's will in their lives. And then they start seeking spiritual experiences and they end up in occultic, magical thinking. I say that because even in this last year, I have dealt with many people who have taken this path. And this is the origin of cults and where they come from. And this is the predictable pattern you'll see every time. Jesus Christ warned us in Matthew 24, 24, for the false Christs and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Now, of all the people I've ever met as a congregation, this Millerville Community Church are filled with Bible scholars. You are good people, and you are honest. And Jesus is warning in Matthew 24, 24, that even you could be deceived and led astray by false prophets. And where they come from is by this tolerance of sin and pride and arrogance in it developing. But we are not the kind of deceived believer who is falling away from the grace of Jesus Christ. We are the church of God the bride of Christ, and we are for her and not against her. We believe she can be redeemed and revived by going back to her first love. We believe that the church can come back to Jesus Christ, for he is calling us in this dark world to remember that he is our first love of our hearts. Revelations chapter 2, verses 2 through 7 says, I know your deeds your toil and your perseverance, and that you cannot tolerate evil men, and you put to test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not, and you have found them to be false. You have perseverance, and you have endured for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, he says, that you have left your first love. 
Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first, or else I am coming to you and will remove the lampstand out of its place unless you repent. There is always a danger of slipping into a legalistic attitude when you are fighting sin towards yourself and towards other people. And Jesus is warning us that that is not where you want to go. He is warning us that our fight against sin sickness, we can't allow our hearts to grow cold and hard. Instead, the light of God's love in our hearts, led by a clear conscience before the Lord, that will keep us safe from the darkness of this world. If you stay in the Bible, in God's holy word, and you read it carefully, you pray against the works of the enemy, if you're sincere in your obedience to Jesus Christ, and you follow the truth that is found in there, in his teachings, you can battle this cancer, this sin sickness. Philippians chapter 4, 4 through 8, I'm going to let Paul have the last word in this. He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Does this sound familiar? And again I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. Yet in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is holy, Whatever is lovely, whatever is of good report or under of repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. May the Lord give us understanding of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are so glad that we don't have to walk in a dark world that we can keep our minds set on the brightness of your love and of your grace and what is good in our life. We know, Lord, that there is a sinful world and that sickness threatens us every day. But I don't need to worry about it will take over my life. For the Lord, though, that the possibility is there, you guard my heart, you guard my mind, you guard my thoughts. As I dwell on you and I keep my eyes fixed on you, as I sincerely confess everything freely and quickly to you, I know, Lord, as a good physician that you treat me well, that your operation on my heart to purify my heart, to create in me a clean heart, O God, as David cried out in the Psalms, is what you are doing with us. We thank you, Lord, for the clarity of that truth, the work of your Holy Spirit, and that we no longer need to pretend or be in denial, that we can come cleanly before you and surrender all things. Lord, if there's anyone here today that is struggling with the sin nature within them, if they are in need of confessing and repenting and having that 
reduced in their life, down to an ineffective lump. I pray, Lord, right now that they would confess that to you, that they come clean and just leave it with you. Lord, don't let pride and arrogance grow in us, but with all the humility of Jesus Christ, confessing all that we have and solely relying on your work in our lives and the good truth that you place there, may you change their lives into a beautiful, wonderful example of who Christ is. Lord, together we're becoming more and more fit as a church, as your bride. And one day you will come to take us home. And this battle will be over. But until that day, I commend every soul here into your hands and into the grace of Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you. God bless you. And go in the peace of the Lord. Amen. You'll find a warm, relaxed atmosphere at MCC. We love worship and music here. It is our desire to direct people to the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of all life, hope, and true transformation. Our Sunday service starts at 10.30 a.m. and runs till noonish. Coffee and snacks are served. Children's church and child care are available.